Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all of your blessings. We thank you for uh, the salvation that you provide in Christ, and then we get to celebrate his resurrection today, that he lives, that he is um, our Lord who is powerful and can intercede for us, and that has saved us by his sacrifice. So we thank you for that, and I pray that as we continue to look at rest through the scriptures, that you would help us to uh, think about how it applies to us and also understand what your word says. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to continue on in our study of rest in the New Testament, and so this will be our last, our last class really of the survey section. And then next week we'll do um, a conclusion where we look at kind of a systematic theology of rest and how everything that we've studied applies to us. And we've, we've hit on a few things as we've gone along, but we'll really focus on that next week. Um, so as I mentioned last week, we can separate um, rest into two categories really that we see in scripture. So rest from work or rest from suffering. And last week we went through rest from suffering in the New Testament and this week we'll do rest from work, rest from work. Um, and so that's our start of our outline for the day. Um, so what does the New Testament say about rest from work? So we have a lot of material, um, that we'll cover today and I hope we'll get through all of it. We have a lot of, um, instances where Jesus interacts with the, the Pharisees, the rabbis who think that he's sinning when he does things on the Sabbath. Uh, most of the time it's healing, but there's a, another instance that we'll talk about. And so he uh, confronts them, he talks about, talks to them, tries to change their, their thinking on that. And then we also have um, Colossians 2.16, which we've talked about a little bit already, but talking about not let, letting anyone judge you concerning uh, food or drink or different holy day observances. And then we'll look also at Hebrews 4 and just holding firm your faith until the end so you can enter this final rest. Okay, so first let's talk about uh, conflicts between Jesus and the Jewish leaders about the Sabbath. Um, and so before we get into these texts, there's a lot of them, I just want to hear from you. So what, what do you remember as far as what the Sabbath looked like in Jesus' time? How did the Jews observe it? Um, what are some tendencies? You know, what, what's the state of their Sabbath observance at this point? walk slowly to the temple yeah they had they had all these little rules which which weren't given by god yeah the, the mishnah yeah yeah well, well i'll read you some of the rules in there in a little bit <laughs> yeah so they they had a, a book and it actually didn't um, it what probably wasn't written down in Jesus's time. It was more like 200 AD where all these kind of extra rules got codified and they wrote them down in a book. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. They, um, you're right. It, it stemmed from biblical ideas, and they just kind of ran with it and added and added and added. And they called it the oral tradition. So it was um, what had just been passed down through the years by rabbis and people had started following. Yeah. All right. Well, so we'll. I'll kind of give you an overview of of what we know from scripture and. And then also these extra rules as far as the how they observed it. Um, so we know that they there was almost like a resurgence in observance of the Sabbath during this time. We know that they, they did observe it. Um, so we have examples in the Bible of, for example, when the ladies were going to um, care for Jesus' body in the tomb that they rested on the Sabbath day. And uh, we also know that 
on the Sabbath was a time for them to go to the, the synagogue and hear the law and the prophets. We get examples of Jesus doing this often. Uh, Paul did it as well. And so this was really, this is something that wasn't commanded by God. He never said, on the Sabbath, go hear the law read. But it is something that they started doing on their own, which isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing to do this. So this was kind of a tradition that they had started uh, teaching in the synagogue on, on the Sabbath day. Um, and then also we've got these, uh, these legalistic rules that they started putting in place. And this was really the, the rabbis, the, 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 lead, the Jewish leaders. Um, they were commanding all these extra, extra rules. And so they have this book eventually uh, called the, the Mishnah. And there was different sections of it. And there was one section called the Shabbat, which sounds like Sabbath, right? So it's this section about how do you observe the Sabbath. And there were 39 rules in this uh, document. And again, not all of these are probably in place in Jesus' time, but it gives you an idea of kind of the legalism that they were um, espousing to, to all the Jews. And so I'm going to read you these seven different categories of, of rules not to do, and then underneath each one are verbs like that you couldn't do uh, that follow under each of those rules. So the first was anything having to do with preparing the showbread of the temple. So they couldn't sow, plow, reap, bind, thresh, winnow, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking. So they couldn't do any of those things, so they related it to the baking of the showbread in the temple. They couldn't do any work related to making the coverings in the tabernacle um, and the clothes used for the priests, so they couldn't shear sheep, bleach, card, I'm not sure what that is, dye, spin, stretch material. They couldn't make two loops because that was the beginning of sewing. They couldn't thread needles, they couldn't weave, they couldn't separate thread, they couldn't tie a knot, they couldn't untie a knot, uh, they couldn't sew, they couldn't tear. As we read through these things and make note, because some of these things the, um, the Pharisees did anyway, even though they were laid out in these rules. Um, they also couldn't do any activities concerning with writing and preparing of parchment from animal hides, so they couldn't trap or hunt, slaughter, skin, cure hides, scrap pelts, mark out a hide to make ready for cutting, or actually do the cutting. They couldn't do any kind of writing, um, erasing, or constructing, so they couldn't build or demolish things. They couldn't kindle a flame, um, so not lighting or extinguishing. And you'll note, note that that is an actual command that God gave them. Uh, they couldn't carry things from their house to outside um, or vice versa from outside in. They couldn't put finishing touches to a piece of work already begun before the Sabbath. Um, and when you read through these, a lot of these are work, right? It's, it's, it's what they did for a living. They, they had to tend their fields. They had to um, care for their herds and their flocks. And a lot of all of this stuff has to do with that. But they made extensions to these seven categories. So, for example, they, you couldn't climb a tree because if you did and you broke a branch, they would call that reaping. They didn't want you to walk on grass because a blade of grass could get broken and that could be reaping. So, like, it, it just built, built and built and built, and there's all these rules that they had to follow. So that kind of gives you the state of what it was like um, to, to live in this time and try to have these burdensome rules put on you as a Jew. And um, it's coming from your leadership, right? Your leadership is telling you that this is what you need to do. This is what God told you you need to do. And this is what you need to do to be right before him. So it's really against these tr human traditions of the Sabbath that Jesus was so against when he came. And so every conflict that Jesus had with the Jewish leaders involved healing, except for one instance, and we'll, we'll talk about that one first. And that's when his disciples picked grain and ate. So that's in Matthew 12. So picking heads of grain, and one of the things, and so as I have this outline, I, I list what was going on and then kind of what Jesus was trying to teach them uh, through that. Um, so in this case, he was trying to show them that their work was permitted on the Sabbath, some work was permitted. And so this is um, in each of the synoptic gospels, we'll just focus on Matthew 12, um, and I'll read the first eight verses, so Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, 
nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But, I, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would, have not condemned, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So in these verses, the Pharisees, of course, are telling Jesus that he was sinning, or that his disciples were sinning because they were picking grain to eat on the Sabbath, so that they would have considered this reaping. Of course, Jesus wasn't a farmer. This was not him trying to get ahead on his work for the week. Um, Jesus, he wasn't breaking the Sabbath law. Jesus responded to the Pharisees by giving them, them these two instances um, that was really trying to show them that they were applying the law without compassion. So these two instances aren't, it's, it's not Jesus saying, it's not him trying to, to defend himself because what his disciples were doing don't fall into these categories. So with David eating the consecrated bread, he was famished, like he needed food to eat. This wasn't the case with the disciples. They were hungry, but they weren't famished. If they didn't get food, they would live. And also they weren't priests working on a Sabbath day. This isn't uh, something that God told them they were permitted to do necessarily. Um, so instead, what Jesus is really saying is, you don't understand what you're talking about. You're missing the point of, of why I'm here. He's trying to take their focus off their legalism and hypocrisy and get them to focus on him. So notice what he says in verse 6. He says, but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. So the temple was the focal point of, of uh, the Pharisees and all their rules and, and the Sabbath. And even the point of um, the two examples that Jesus gave, right? David going to the temple to get the bread, and then um, the, the priest uh, offerings uh, on the Sabbath at the temple. But he's saying that there's something greater than the temple, and you should be focusing on that instead of all the temple stuff, and that's Christ. He's saying, I am here, trying to take their focus off their legalism. Um, the king is here, your Messiah. He's ready to usher in the kingdom if they would repent. Remember, that was his message as he came, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's trying to get them to realize their error. And so he says in Matthew twelve seven, but if you had known what this means, that is our compassion and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. So here he's quoting something from Hosea. And his point is that God's people are to be merciful towards others, compassionate, instead of being so focused on sacrifice like they were. Their sacrifice wasn't what it should be, right? E even their sacrifice itself was half-hearted. Um, they saw it as a, a motion to go through so that they could be right with God, but their hearts weren't right with God, right? Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs. Outside, they, it, they look good, but inside, they're dead. So if they would have understood this, they would have not condemned his disciples, which Jesus calls innocent in this passage. Um, and then in verse 8, he says, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So here Jesus is claiming deity. He's Lord. He's saying he is God. Uh, Jesus, right, we know from Colossians, from John 1, that he, he's the one who created. So Jesus created for six days. Jesus rested on the sixth day. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He knows what it's all about. And we know that, um, yeah, because of Colossians 1.16, for example, which says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one that can tell them that their man-made rules are foolishness, which put huge burdens on the Jews. He's the one that designated the Sabbath to be a blessing for man, right, instead of a burden for them, instead of what the Jews made it out to be. So this account, as I mentioned, is just one of them in the Synoptic Gospels. So Mark records another thing that Jesus said that the others don't, and you see that in Mark 2.27. So Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So again, the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing uh, a time of rest for man who was weary from work, not this burden of all these extra rules to be endured. Um, so through this account, there's really three things that we can note about the Sabbath. So that, so one, you can work in, if there's an emergency or a need. 
So you see that with uh, David. Uh, you can work when it's permitted on the Sabbath. So we see that with the priests. And then finally, you can do work if you're being merciful or compassionate to someone. And we'll see that as a recurring theme as we go through here. Um, and, and really, just the fact that Jesus heals on the Sabbath, right? That's a, an act of mercy that he shows. So think about your own rest in these three categories. And really, think about, you know, you've, you've worked hard through the week, and it's the weekend, and you've set aside some time, and you're, you're going to rest. However it is you rest, you, you've made plans, you're going to do it. And then your rest gets interrupted, right? And, and there's someone in need. You know, if you're a parent, you know, you, you know how this goes because your, your kids might need you and they're interrupting your quiet time or your, your me time or whatever it is. Um, how do you respond to that? What's our temptation? And, and how should we respond? Yeah, definitely temptation to be frustrated. Yeah. 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 So we're selfish. That that leads to our frustration. Yeah. So how should we respond instead? Yeah, love. Yeah, so if, you know, the, the command that the Israelites forgot about through all this, right, is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's the command that they had. It's in Leviticus. Um, if they were to do that, if they were to be merciful to their neighbor, like Jesus said, they wouldn't have condemned his disciples. So, yeah, so instead love, which means what? How, how, do, we, how do we love in that instance? Yeah, so be unselfish, right? That's a great example. So the rest of our passages concern Jesus and the Sabbath and him healing. And so we'll go to the next um, uh, item here in Matthew 12. And really, it's just you can continue on in the same uh, chapter if you're there. So Matthew 12. And so he heals the man's withered hand. And we learn that it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Um, so there's a continuation again from the narrative from the last point. And so in verse 9, it says, Departing from there, he went into the synagogue. So that's Jesus. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And it, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. So again, we see the Pharisees um, trying to trap Jesus. Uh, They think it's it's unlawful to heal on the Sabbath, so they're trying to to trap him. And so they ask him this question just point blank. and Jesus uh, tries to correct their thinking and tells them, well, first of all, if, if you had an animal that fell into a pit, you would, you would save that animal. So people are greater than animals, so I should be able to save this man, to heal this man. And so, um, and then Jesus says it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So this isn't, this isn't a new command. He isn't saying... He's saying, don't sit back and watch someone in need because it is the Sabbath. Help them instead. Um, 
So it goes back to what he said earlier in Matthew 12, 7. If you had known what it means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, that you would not have condemned the innocent. So he wants them to have mercy on people. And again, we see this in Leviticus as well. Leviticus 19, 18 says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> so then our third... Um, example here of Jesus and the Sabbath is the bent over woman and really here he's, he's again just showing the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders so Luke thirteen ten says and he was watching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all when Jesus saw her he called her over and said to her woman you are freed from your sickness and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God but the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for eighteen long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. So again, Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, and the synagogue official brings, um, he highlights that, Jesus, that God created for six days, so all the people shouldn't be coming to Jesus on the Sabbath, they should be coming to him on the other days, because his healing is work. And... Um, this is, of course, despite what Jesus already told them um, earlier in Luke. <clears throat> um, sorry, my notes are out of order here. Um, so note that they, they will work, so they'll untie their ox, right, which is one of the things that eventually they shouldn't do by their oral tradition. Um, it's not forbidden by Scripture. They will untie their ox, bring them to water, so Jesus is saying, you'll, you'll break your own made-up rules, but not think that Jesus, God in the flesh, can do good to others on the Sabbath day by healing. Um, so, so Jesus heals this woman, whose handicapped is in fact a result of Satan's work. Um, this is a type of work God's people should be desiring to do, even on the Sabbath, desiring to do good to other people. So the next example we have is Jesus healing a man suffering from dropsy. And again, we see the, the hypocrisy of the leaders. So this is in Luke 14, 1. And it says, It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the large and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply of this. So the, this man with dropsy, is, it's like he's retaining a lot of water. And he, we kind of have the conversation flipped in this case. So Jesus asked them, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And of course they, they don't answer. Um, and so again, he shows them their hypocrisy. If their son or their ox is in need, they'll save him if it's on the Sabbath. Um, but yet they think that Jesus' healing on the Sabbath is a sin. So the, um, we have two more. So the lame man at the pool, Jesus heals him and says that Jesus and his father are still working. So this is in John 5. It, John 5 verse 5 is where we'll start. It says, a man was there who had been ill for 40 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was, on that, now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews are saying to the man who was cured, It is a Sabbath. It is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered him, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is that? Who is the man? Who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. 
Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews are seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus healed this, this lame man and then told him to walk and carry his pallet. <clears throat> and of course, the Jews said, you told the man, first of all, you can't carry your pallet on the Sabbath. And then telling Jesus that he shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus has this simple response. My father's working until now, and I myself am working. So this tells us a few things which are important for Hebrews 4. Um, but it, for one thing, after creation, God continued to work, um, even after he rested on the seventh day. Also, in Jesus' incarnation, Jesus came to work. He didn't come to rest, but to call his people to repentance, to usher in the kingdom, to display the glory of God to the world. Remember, he was the light of the world. And, of course, the ultimate work of all, to bear the sins of all the saints throughout all of time on the cross. Um, and then the third thing we see here is Jesus is saying he's God. And the, the Jews knew this. They could see that. They didn't believe him, but they understood that that's what he was doing. Um, and so the Sabbath command was not for God. It was for man, right? Jesus said this. The Sabbath was, was made for man. Um, this command is not for Jesus as God because God doesn't need to rest. Um, however, Jesus is a Jew. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, and he didn't break the Sabbath. So all these things are working together. Um, and so later in John, there's a reference back to this healing in John 7. In John 7, 21, Jesus says that he did this one deed, so that's what he's talking about, healing this, this lame man. And so in John 7, 20, the crowd tells Jesus, you have a demon who seeks to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one deed and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses had, has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So again, he calls out their hypocrisy. They, they'll circumcise on the Sabbath, um, but don't want Jesus to heal. And so he says, you're judging according to appearance, not with righteousness. So not according to what is right, but just by what you see, what, you, what, you, what your legalism shows you, right? What, through your, the lens of legalism as you look, this is what it appears to be, instead of judging by righteousness, by what is right. So the final example here of Jesus' healing is a man born blind. And so Jesus here proves that he is from God. So John 9, 1, it says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Shalom. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. So Jesus healed this blind man. A few verses later, we see what the Pharisees think about this. If you jump down to verse 13. It says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day that when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So if you drop down to verse 28, continue reading, where... This man born blind really just schools the Pharisees. Like he, he tells them what they should believe, what they should think because of what Jesus did, but they refuse to do it. So it says in John 9, 28, they reviled him. So that's the Pharisees reviling this, this man that was born blind and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to him, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he can do nothing. So this blind man, knew he knew the truth, and he wasn't scared to say it and believe it. And he was telling the Pharisees, here's an amazing thing. You can't even see this. You won't even accept that Jesus is God. The Pharisees couldn't see what was right in front of them. They were blinded by their hypocrisy, their desire for authority, their pride, and they could not see Jesus for who he was. Uh, we all need to be like the man born blind, right, who sees clearly who Jesus is and responds appropriately in faith. Um, so uh, a few things just as we look at the healings um, overall. I think it, we can see these things that it teaches us. So number one, uh, God is working. Jesus is working while he was here, while not breaking the Sabbath command to Israel and healing people to show his glory to Israel and the world. He's showing who he is. He's being compassionate to his people. He's showing them mercy. He's proving his deity. And he's also correcting the wrong views of the rabbis concerning the Sabbath. And he's really trying to pierce to their heart. Right, he's trying to cut through the legalism, cut through these rules that they've made up, uh, cut through the way they think they can be right with God, and get to the heart. So those are the things he was trying to do as he was healing on the Sabbath. Uh, any questions about any of those healings or anything we talked about before we get into the next couple points? Heather? Yeah, so he's working. So he's doing it while not breaking the Sabbath. Um, he shows mercy. He proves his deity. And he corrects the wrong view of the rabbis by trying to get to their heart, right? Okay, so I think I need advance. Yeah. Um, so now we'll look at... Um, a very interesting narrative about how the disciples rested at the wrong time. And you guys are familiar with this section of scripture where Jesus is in the garden. He's uh, crying out to God that God take the cup from him. And he tells his disciples to, to keep watch and to pray, right? And so while Jesus was praying, they should have been keeping watch and praying. So in Matthew 26, 45, it says, Then he came to the disciples, so Jesus was all praying. He came back to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then we get the same um, uh, account in Mark fourteen forty one, and it says, And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. So Jesus' disciples were resting and sleeping instead of what Jesus told them to do, which was to watch and pray. And so we know that the disciples had had a really rough day. Um, they had had the, the Passover. They, Jesus had told them that he was going to be um, crucified. Uh, they, they had a stressful day, and Jesus even knew it. Um, so instead of praying, they just, they couldn't. They f fell asleep. But then they also did this other thing called resting, which isn't sleeping. So we know that because there's the two words, right? Resting and sleeping. So that they were doing both of those. But the idea was that they, they were relaxing. They were, they were resting. They weren't doing what Jesus had told them to do. However, Jesus was compassionate with them, um, knowing that they were weird and tired from a long day. And... Um, even Luke twenty two forty five, 45, the, the other account of this, it says that they were sleeping with sorrow, right? So it was because of the sorrow of the day that they were so tired and were sleeping. So this is an example of what not to do. So when we talk about, um, uh, next week when we talk about principles and stuff, we'll get into this a little bit. So we need to rest appropriately. Don't neglect something you're supposed to do to rest. So just real quick, what are some things that... Um, 
that Jesus, or that we're commanded to do as believers, that we shouldn't neglect um, by resting. Yeah, praying. That's a good direct application from this passage, right? Yeah, so we're supposed to pray to God, give him thanksgiving, intercede for others, pray for ourselves, ask God for things that we desire, right? All that's in scripture. Pray for wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, love others. And that's, if you look at the one another's, that's one of the biggest, right, in the, in the uh, epistles. Yeah, we're supposed to take time to love others. Say that again. Yeah. Yeah, so spending time in the Word, understanding what God has said, right, um, and meditating on it, hiding it in your heart. yeah 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 definitely and that's that's a direct command right Uh, be with other believers so you can encourage them and love them right hebrews 10 24 25 um yeah so all these things that we could be resting and sleeping but instead god has told us to do these things and in fact these are in addition to our vocational work right so we're, God tells us to work so that we can provide for ourselves, and this is above and beyond that. And so we'll get into that some next week. Yeah, great. Um, okay, so the third thing here is let no one act as your judge regarding Sabbath observance. So that's Colossians 2, 16 through 19. So two sixteen says, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Um, so it's interesting, this is an interesting command, let no one um, act as your judge. So it's kind of hard to do, because in one sense, we can't force people to not judge us. That's not really what this is saying. It's saying, don't be swayed by what other people are telling you to do concerning food and drink and, and um, observing these holy days. Don't be swayed. Um, it's pretty clear that God, so if we t- take these two, two categories, so food and drink and then the holy days, in regard to food and drink, it's about um, what you put in your body for nourishment doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Um, we know that Jesus had told Peter that he can eat unclean foods now. That was clear in Acts 11. And then we know that he even did that, that he went to the Gentiles, he ate with them, he ate what they ate. Um, even though he, he didn't follow this command in a certain sense because he was swayed, right, by the, the circumcision. Galatian tells us these people that were espousing following the Old Testament law to be right with God, and he kind of was swayed by them and stopped doing what he was doing with the Gentiles, although uh, Paul came and rebuked him, and it sounds like he changed his ways. Um, Romans fourteen seventeen says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so this whole section, Romans 14, talking about liberty. And, um, but even through our liberty and the things that we can eat, Paul lays out these things that we need to be careful of, um, like not using our liberty in front of um, believers who uh, might have a weak conscience and then be... Um, think that it's okay to break their conscience and do these things. Um, So in regard to food and drink, let no one be your judge. Don't be swayed by people saying you can't eat this, you have to eat this, and that type of thing. So the other category here is in respect to a festival, new moon, or a Sabbath day. So this would be all the holy days under the Mosaic law um, that the Israelites were supposed to follow, and that included the Sabbath day. So ceasing from work on the seventh day is not prescribed for the church. Um, following any of the holy days commanded to Israel is not commanded to the church. Therefore, we should not let others sway us in observing them or not observing them. You're free to do either. You don't have to, but you can if you want. Um, so why is observing these things of no consequence? So if we continue reading on in this section, it tells us. So Colossians 2.17 says, um, these things, the food and drink and the holy days, are things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. So Colossians 2.18 gets into these other things that people do. Um, it's not, it, it's, it's of the same vein as the food and drink and all these holy days, right? It has this appearance of being good, but it's really of, of no use for us. Um, it's a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So our focus should be on Christ, and you see that in 2.19. They're doing all these other things and not holding fast to the head, Christ, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. So it's a wrong focus. Focusing on observing the Sabbath, focusing on what you eat and drink is a wrong focus. Instead, focus on Christ. He's the one that provides spiritual growth. He's the one that provides sanctification from holiness. All this comes from Christ. Not what we eat or drink or how we observe these holy days. So the final point here is uh, be diligent to enter God's rest. Be diligent to enter God's rest. And this is in Hebrews 13 and 14. Um, and there's a lot here, and I mean, we could spend weeks talking through this passage, and Greg's preached through it, and so if you want like a detailed um, breakdown, go listen to that. But we're going to read through it, and I'm going to just give you the, an overview of the argument here, and then how that applies to us, okay? So Hebrews 3.12 is where we'll start. It says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they, heard, when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this passage they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David after so long a time, just as he has said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, you would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also entered from his works, has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So in our very first lesson, we talked about um, how to interpret passages, and one of the things we talked about was looking for terms of conclusions of conclusion, and um, therefore is one of those terms, and that happens three times in this passage. And so we're going to use that to help us break down kind of the flow of the argument here. And I, yeah, it's on the screen. So what, what's the author saying here? So the, the main thing he's saying is that make sure you enter into God's rest. That's the, the main idea. To do that, take care that you don't have an unbelieving heart that falls away from God. So that's the first few verses, 3, 12 through 19. Take care that you don't have an unbelieving heart that falls away from God. 
Therefore, be fearful if it seems that you won't enter his rest. That's his next point. Why? Well, because there remains a Sabbath rest from works for the people of God. That's the next little section. And finally, he, he, re, he reiterates the whole thing. So be diligent to enter that rest. And he, in this last section, tells us to do that and then reminds us of how God sees, right, and what God's word does. God's word changes the heart. God sees the heart. You know, we can't hide from him. We can't be like the Pharisees, like the whitewashed tombs. We can't look really good on the outside because God sees what's inside. So your heart's what matters when it comes to entering this rest. So I want to, as far as what we're concerned about, rest, there's really two questions that I want this text to answer, or two questions that it does answer. So first, how do we enter that rest? Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, how do we enter that rest? And then what is the rest like? What's this rest that he's talking about? So first, how do we enter that rest? So well, we start with faith in Christ. In uh, 4.2, it says, For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. Uh, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So he's going back and talking about the people in the wilderness going from Egypt to the Promised Land. Um, For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, As I sworn my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So we have to start with faith in Christ, but we also have to end with faith in Christ. And so you see that in Hebrews 3.14 a little bit earlier in the passage. He says, For we have been com- become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. So you see there's this perseverance through our life. We start with faith and we end our life with that faith. So we enter that rest by that, by that fact, by that perseverance. You see a similar thing in Revelations 14, 12, and 13. It says, here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the de- for the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. And we'll talk about that again for this next point, which is what is rest like? So what is this rest like? Well, first, it's after this life, right? So he talks about holding this firm and holding your faith firm till the end. So this rest will take place after that. It takes place if we've done that, held fast our assurance till the end. And then we enter this rest. This rest is God's rest, right? And in 4.3, it says, my rest. So this is entering into God's rest. So it's with him. It's where he's at. It's heaven. This is what this rest is talking about, rest in heaven. It's also rest from our work. So in Hebrews 4.10, it says, For the one who has entered his rest, that's God's rest, has himself also rested from his works. That's us resting from our works as God did from his. Well, how did God rest from his works? As we just read earlier today that God's still working. So what's this passage talking about? Um, in Hebrews 4.3 and 4, it, he makes clear that this work he's talking about of God is the work of creation. So, right, God created for those six days, he rested on the seventh day, and then he never created again. He was done. His work of creation was done. He works in many other ways, but his creation has stopped. He's, he's created what he's needed to create. And so in the same way, the rest that we'll get from our work is a complete rest from whatever work this is talking about. <clears throat> and so um, I think that the main thing in view here is the work that we have through perseverance. So that's described in 3.14, for we have become partakers of Christ. Again, we've read this. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. So we get to rest spiritually. We get to rest from the, the fighting against sin, against the holding fast our assurance till the end, keeping the faith, our perseverance. Because once we die, if we die in that, if we die with our faith, Still, we get to say what we read in Second Timothy 4 or 7, right? I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So it's what, it's what Paul said. We're, we're finished with that. We've, we're done with that work, and we get to rest from that. It's, it's the ultimate spiritual rest. 
and tying this Second Timothy four eight um, as far as rewards, we see we saw that in Revelations fourteen thirteen, right? That our deeds follow us. So it says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the deeds who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. So the labors you could think of as like the, the, the fruits of salvation. You know, we talk about, you know, faith apart from works. You can't have um, works without faith. This idea that it's the evidence. So they have these labors that are the evidence, and those good deeds follow with them into death, and they're rewarded for those good deeds that we saw in 2 Timothy 4.8. So, be diligent to enter into this rest. You know, all the rest that we'll talk about uh, next week as far as how he rests on the weekends, how he rests on vacation, how he maybe rests in our retirement, all those things, how to do that well. Um, those all, that rest pales in comparison to this rest. This is the rest that we need to make sure we enter. This is the rest that we need to be diligent to enter into. So hold fast your faith until the end. Um, we've got four minutes left, and so we can take some time for questions. But also, my wife made this cool QR code that you can take a picture of. And so I know there's been lots of questions through the weeks, especially about application. And so if you just want to send those questions in, I don't promise I'll answer them, but at least I'll know what you're thinking and I can start thinking along those same lines and try to work through some of those things next week. Um, so any, any questions about what we've talked about today? Or comments? I'll close this in prayer and we can be dismissed a couple minutes early. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you care for us so much that you um, promise this rest for us if we keep our faith. Father, it's um, difficult to even think about what it will be like um, being with you, being uh, without our sinful flesh. Um, being able to have work that's not uh, tainted by the curse. Father, we look forward to that. I pray that you help us to all put our hope in that, um, that final rest that we have. And also help us as we just think through how to rest wisely uh, while we are still here. Help us next week to think through that as well. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.